0: I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest on this episode is Madeline Hayden, the founder and CEO of Nutpods. To learn more about Madeleine's entrepreneurial story, listen to her previous appearance on this podcast on episode 45 that was released in April 2018. In this conversation, we focus on the uncertain times we are living through in 2020, and how Madeleine and her company have been tackling a range of issues. From the impact of COVID-19 on her business, to her response to the wave of protests calling for racial justice following the murder of George Floyd. This episode is full of really good insights on leadership, adapting to change, food trends in the post-coronavirus economy, building diversity and inclusion into the DNA of your company, the importance of speaking up about equality, and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy this nuanced and broad-ranging conversation as much as I did. Madeline Hayden from Nutpods, thank you so much for coming back on the Eat for the Planet podcast.
2: So great to be here. Wonderful to catch up with you as well.
0: Yeah, we're living through interesting times, aren't we? First, COVID-19 brought the world to a halt. And in the past few weeks, we've uh, seen a wave of protests across the nation calling for social justice. And um, I know nothing seems like it's the same. And so everyone's trying to navigate these strange times and figure out, what their personal lives, what their businesses, what their careers, and what the future holds, socially, culturally, as well as economically, for us in this country and probably across the world. Um, so, I want to get your insights on how things have impacted you and your outlook on some of these these hot button issues that are top of everyone's minds at the moment. Let's um, let's start with COVID nineteen. Uh, it's june now and it's i feel like it was a lifetime ago when uh i we were making i was making plans to go to expo west where the natural food industry congregates in orange county in california and uh it was called off and that was the sign that something you know this wasn't any normal uh sort of panic it was actually emerging into a pandemic how did this unfold for you and nutpods how did the uh, pandemic sort of impact your company?
2: Mm. Well, I think in these type of times, you know, no matter what experience you you have in the industry, you just have to lead with your heart and so your instincts. And we, being based in Seattle, our headquarters in Seattle, you know, we were ground zero for the coronavirus hitting the U.S. And one of the things that we had talked about is you know first and foremost we really wanted to make sure that we were taking care of our people and we decided to pull out of the show in advance of new hope canceling the show just because you know with a small team of 30 people it really would have impacted our our team to go down there and have anyone be sick and that's one of the things that you really fear about right it's Mm -hmm. like first it's you know, losing money or it's, it's not having enough money as a startup. But when you start to scale, you really have to take care of your teams because these are the people that execute for you every day. And you care about these people, you know, they're part of your team and you want to make sure that you're protecting them and whatever risk you're asking them to take, it's really, it's really worthwhile. So we pulled out of the trade show early we have been working from home remotely and some of the some of the decisions that we've made that works for our nut post culture has really benefited us you know we had already been allowing people to work from home one day a week so the pivot working from home was very easy everyone was equipped to work from home and i think the other part too is you know we have a robust e channel and as we saw consumers go less into the stores and turn towards online shopping, we were well poised with our business to kind of capture the loss of sales, but on, on the e side. And so, and I think, you know, we've had to make sure that we've, that we're connecting with our people and making sure that as a brand, we're being sensitive to the fact that we are living in, un, you know, unparalleled circumstances and you do your best to keep your eye on protecting your business, like focusing on your supply chain, focusing on your people, but also understanding we are all human beings dealing with a huge amount of uncertainty and with educating children at home and with being worried about parents and you know to keep that lens in place um, has has been the way that that we have adapted as a as a business.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a it's a juggling act. There's so many different aspects of. Um the impact of uh, the pandemic on on someone who's running a food company. I mean, first and foremost, did you face any supply chain disruptions? Did your manufacturing get impacted in any way? Um, Because that in itself could be a complete disaster if it was mismanaged.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, we really took a a comprehensive look at our business overall. Mm -hmm. And then we started working on each of the different pillars. So to answer your question on supply chain, no, we were very fortunate. We haven't had any type of um, stockout issues or any type of that. But that's because we worked really diligently and proactively to forward deploy raw ingredients and packaging to have it be available stateside. You know, we had it available Um, stored so that we can ship to both our refrigerated manufacturing as well as our, you know, shelf-stable manufacturing, giving us operational flexibility. We also had the funds. And I think one of the things that kind of gets overlooked is, you know, you have to have built um, a financially responsible business or have access to whether or not it's bank line of credit or, Mm -hmm. you know, cash on hand so that you can ramp up. Not only your raw goods and your packaging, but your finished goods inventory too. And so we had wrapped everything up. We had worked with all of our co-packers to make sure that they had, you know, COVID plans in place. Like what is going to happen if they have positive um, diagnosis on on site. And we we worked with our vendors and. One thing is that we know a lot of brands that, you know, they streamline their operations and they do a turnkey approach. Um, and the co-packers does a lot of the purchasing for them. And I'm sure there are many benefits of doing it that way. One of the things that we were always really committed to was building our business alongside our vendors. And when it comes to times like this, where if you do have an interruption, if they do have supply chain issues, the fact that they have been working directly with us and been a part of our brand and our brand's growth has allowed them to emotionally invest so that, you know, at the end of the day, we want them to choose our brand and our company to ship to if they have any type of supply chain constraints. So that also worked well for us as well.
0: Yeah, just having your foundations already uh, pretty strong has better prepared you, I'm sure, because I've been talking to a lot of brands, some of them, the ones who have been saying that they've managed to uh, sit down, plan, and adapt fairly quickly are the ones who were already doing a pretty good job of planning and, you know, making sure they had sufficient amount of cash flow, or access to capital, and had mm-hmm. almost sort of, maybe obviously no one was prepared for a pandemic of this disproportion, this but at the same time, one of the I guess the key things in, in running any business of any size is you've got to be prepared for some contingencies um, and and be responsible in how you spend your money and, and where you allocate resources. And it sounds like you were already doing all those things well uh, even before things kind of got out of control globally uh, and were just able to, maybe it wasn't easy, but were able to adapt in a fairly nimble manner.
2: Mm-hmm and i think that's that's why it's so critical on your supply chain to make sure that you have you know um, dual sources mm. for your ingredients and you may not be able to have dual source for your packaging so you do the best you can but having qualified you know co-packers having qualified you know first and, and backup suppliers for your ingredients is is really important as well as like building in redundancies in your team so it's like if someone does get sick, God forbid. You know who is going to be able to step in and do their job, and be able to kind of talk about that as as a team.
0: Yeah, and I and you mentioned team right in the beginning, um, and I want to bring that up. I mean, culture is such an important part of building a company, especially at the size where you are now. You're you're no longer that. You're still a startup, but you're you're not in your you know early years. Uh, you're at that point of scale at this at this stage. Um, you said that you'd already put in place certain, you know, work from home and other options to build your team out. How did that really, how has that been in the last few months, given that I'm sure everyone's working remotely? How have you managed to firstly adapt and, ch- and change what you've been doing? And what have you been doing before that, that have translated into really good practices in this new world of remote working?
2: Hmm. Well, I would say, um, and, and we had some advantages, right? So it's like when we were a startup, you know, we didn't have an office. We couldn't afford an office. So we were a virtual company. So everything about the infrastructure of our information sharing, you know, cloud-based and mm-hmm. being able to be comfortable with Zoom or, you know, um, you know, Microsoft Teams and things like that, we were comfortable doing that as a team. We also had a couple employees that were not based out of headquarters and not part of the sales. So sales, you're used to having it be remote, but we had other team members that were remotely based. And so we were always practicing on making sure of how do we bring the culture of headquarters out to our remote employees because you want them to identify with the culture you want them to benefit from the culture of what you're building and i think in times like this um you know your employees are really watching what you do not what you say not what's posted on your culture on your conference rooms or on your website but they're seeing about how you treat them during these uncertain times are you taking the time to find out whether or not How are they being impacted? You know, is someone that they um, care about or are concerned about, you know, being coming ill or whether or not their spouse or their partner has been laid off as a result of the economy? So having a pulse on your people and understanding about where they are, I think is really an an important connection part. And I think with any business, you know, I, I feel like I say this all the time and it's because I really believe in it, is that you cannot. Succeed without your team, and and being able to have people that not only are there to help you do the important work of your brand, but also connect with what your brand is doing and what good we're doing in the world. You know, even with a humble product like coffee creamers, it's like, you know what I tell you, like we gave away product to a lot of um, nurses and a lot of emergency rooms around the country. And just providing creamer for 80% of coffee drinkers that take creamer in their coffee, you know, when they are facing long shifts and when they're separated from their families, it makes me feel like we're, we're making the world a little bit easier. And for a lot of people where they're trying to figure out how to, you know, work from home or how to educate their kids from home and they can't go out to their favorite coffee shop anymore, you know, if we can provide them, Um, a same delicious cup of coffee that they can start their day with before they, you know, tackle the obstacles of the day. That makes me feel good. And it makes me feel like we're still supporting them with their health goals as well, because it's hard to have a strong immune system if you're not, you know, feeling and feeding yourself and taking care of yourself. And so I feel like our product is doing that for people and conveying that to the team when, you know, at first blush, it's like, Coffee creamer doesn't seem like the most important thing right now, but it's just a small way that we can make someone's life a little bit better during these uncertain times. And I'm glad if our product can do that.
0: You're right. I mean, on the surface, it may seem like the what is how, how important is coffee creamer in the bigger scheme of things in the state the state of the world is. But when you contextualize it to be that that's that that's that one sort of
1: um, comfort
0: yeah that one moment of normalcy in your day and mm-hmm. in these uncertain times when we can sit down I mean I can tell you like I'm a I've told you this before I'm a big coffee drinker I have made sure that I get my delivery of coffee and now I go to the grocery store when I was able to to bring it because I didn't want to miss out on the small things that felt um, and also be grateful for the small things so it almost adds mm-hmm. new meaning to the things that you value um, and, you know, it and makes you makes you realize uh, you shouldn't be paying attention to the things that you don't value. And, and I do want to also acknowledge you're, you're not only a founder and a CEO of a food company, you're a mom as well. And so you've been mm-hmm. working from home and I'm sure as much as your employees and, you know, your business partners are dealing with their own challenges during these times. How has it been for you to run a company, be at home and juggle these multiple sort of duties all at once?
2: Well, you know, we, we had been juggling, um, both, both sides of the hat. So at first, nobody wanted to come into the office, right? So it's like, but we still needed to keep the office open because we had quality control samples coming in. We still had shipments, um, that needed to, you know, go out for marketing samples or things like that. And so, you know, as, as owners, you step up and you come to the office and we were fortunate that, you know, we were able to keep our nanny. Uh, as an essential business. And so we would come into the office to make sure that the office is open for deliveries and shipments. And then we started to shift back home, um, you know, A, because of, of childcare, and B, just because we we wanted to make sure that we eliminate as many non necessary people here at the office. So as, as employees, our team members came back into the office um, where, you know, we only have like two at the office at a time. Uh, You know, we have opted to stay at home so we can just, again, eliminate their risk. So we're, and everybody knows we are willing to come in and do what needs to be done because we're ultimately responsible for this company and we're a team. And so, but it, it allows me to, you know, be grateful the times that, I can run into the office and focus like now on this podcast. So I don't have my kindergartner come in to show me the drawing that she made or, you know, the homework that she did and those small moments. But also be able to recognize a lot of our team members, you know, are um, trying to balance both childcare and being productive at their job. And I just tell my people, you know, we're all humans and we're all trying to figure it out. And it is wonderful to be able to show kind of the personal side of, of you. So it's like, if your kid pops in, you know, your kid pops in, we'll say hi to them. We're, we're used to having lunch with some of the the kids, you know, when we have our virtual lunch days and um, you make the best of it. You, you know, incorporate your kids on the virtual, you know, <laughs> bring yeah. your kid to work home. But it's like, they're literally just popping in on when you're at home working with them. And you just recognize that everyone is, is doing their best. And, mm-hmm just give your team a little bit of freedom of saying like, go take a walk in the middle of the day if that's what you need. You know, we want you to self-care. We want you to make sure that you are having all of the normal breaks that you would have because it's important for you to take care of you. And you don't, and we, you know, there's a lot of talk about the blurring lines between work and business. And we try very hard to um, not email or call our team members, you know, out, outside of business hours because it's important to have them have their time with their families. And you never know what struggles that they are dealing with, you know, on a personal side. So respecting that boundary of of work and of personal life has been an important part of our culture, and it's something we're living right now.
0: Yeah, and we obviously are going through a, a shared human experience, and so it 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 i like that it it's it, and as much as it we we want to make sure people have that separation between work and personal life it's also good that we acknowledge that people have lives and that they have kids and they have very real challenges and then perhaps mm-hmm. sometimes they they need to take a break in the middle of the day and work later in the evening and that flexibility i think some companies have already put those in place way before covid-19 but i think it's becoming apparently clear to everyone now that we, we're going to see a sort of a redefinition of how work is done, especially the longer this this continues. I mean, I don't see us returning to, to normal, you know, quote unquote, whatever normal is anytime soon. But uh, and it'll probably open up in waves and, and perhaps at some point it'll be back to how it was uh, a few months ago. But, you know, speaking of what this new world is going to look like uh, post-COVID-19 or in the in the pandemic land that we live in right now what what do you what do you think are going to be some of the longer term implications on the food industry and i know we've seen a lot of data around uh, consumer habits you know on one Mm -hmm. hand you'll read stuff like consumers are are eating more healthy foods because they care about immunity on the other hand i've seen reports that talk about how uh consumers are reaching for comfort foods because of uh the, uh, because they're at home and they don't, they can't go out and eat in restaurants, or they're feeling afraid and uncertain. Uh, what? How does all of this play into some of what your strategic plans were as a company, and does it change anything?
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, I like to take multiple data points, and I like to take data points of what I read and data points of of what I personally can validate, and. I, I read the same things you did, too, where it's like, you know, people are reaching for the Chef Boyardee and the hostess. And I get it. There is a time and a place for for comfort foods and, you know, for foods that are familiar and what you grew up with. I also have so much faith in consumers and, you know, it's that whole thing about as you a brain, you know, a brain that has expanded can never go back to its original dimensions. We know more now. We are more educated as consumers about the role of food and nutrition as it comes to our overall health. And go ahead and reach for that, you know, for the zingers or for the ding dongs. But, you know, people also know in the back of the mind, this is not good for me, and this is not help helping me, and this is you know, not boosting my immune system or, you know, all of that stuff. And it's like, no one's perfect. Right. And so, uh, but you also have this commitment of wanting to take care of yourself and take care of your families during times like this. And that's why I feel like, yes, there was a wave of, of kind of nostalgia and, you know, people reaching for comfort foods of yesteryear.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And yet, as you know, more than anybody, you know, plant-based foods have continued to grow um, significantly, and and health and fresh foods as well still have very strong growth as well. And so, I think that it's kind of a, a peak of when people were at the height of the uncertainty of COVID, and now people have adapted and they've settled down and they're resuming some of their habits, um, especially when it comes around to to you know the choices that they make. I also feel that this has been a forced um, push for food and e-com. And so I know so many people in my personal like circles where they're in their 70s and they've started buying groceries online for the first time. Hmm. And we are creatures of, of habit in some ways, but convenience trumps that. So if you can have the groceries you want delivered at your door and you don't have to park, and you don't have to put on your mask, and you don't have to be in the stores for 45 minutes, you know, um, I think that that's going to be here to stay. And lastly, I also, you know, believe in that commitment of eating foods. Like, I believe that consumers will trade off in other areas of budgets because we're having historic unemployment, right? One in four Americans have filed for unemployment. So they may be going out less. They may be buying less, you know, clothes, because everyone's on Zoom anyways. If you have a job, <laughs> and if you don't have a job, you're not spending on clothes or shoes. Um, but you need to find those like those allowable indulgences or those things that allow you to, you know, cope a little bit better during hard times. And I think being able to say, "Gosh darn it, I can't buy like a lot of new clothes or clothes," but i can't go out and get like my starbucks i'm gonna at least have like my nut pots at home because I, I love it in my coffee and you know i had to sacrifice in every other area but i'm holding the line here <laughs> and so and i feel like that's that's some of the behaviors that we've seen um and we'll continue to we'll continue to see
0: yeah and, and from a um, e-com standpoint i know for anyone who hasn't heard the first podcast that Madeline was on we talked about the nutpod story and how they started off with a kickstarter campaign and it's uh, it's funny i guess you've you you got a significant head start on that <laughs> when it comes to ecom and and selling on amazon i've seen you know every brand in the last few months have been scrambling to try to figure out how to do those things which they never thought were a priority um and and i think some of them will manage to pivot in time and some of them have managed to pivot in time but you can't um you can't ignore the other point that you raised which is it's creating this massive shift that would otherwise have taken years to happen years. i mean me my I'll, I'll i'm by no means in my 70s but even i was very reluctant to buy groceries online exactly what you said i was just tired of having to wait in line put on a mask go deal with really anxious shoppers and take ages Mm -hmm. at the checkout counter. I finally got Instacart and was starting to look at other options on how I could get my groceries delivered. And again, I know I'm, I'm privileged enough to live in a part of the country where I can get things delivered at any given time. I live in LA and took complete advantage of that. And I really don't see a going back. I may still definitely go to stores at some point. I may even go to grocery stores. But once you've had that experience and you've gotten over that initial, um, of whatever, reluctance to, to adopt the the new technology or that new medium to get your food or or anything delivered, there sort of is no going back. And I, I can imagine that that is going to bring about a seismic shift in the food industry as mm-hmm. everyone who wasn't doing e-com is suddenly thinking of ways to directly engage with customers. I also think, you know, there's a there's gonna be this ripple effect. We've seen, you know, I started off the conversation talking about Expo West and you mentioned how you had pulled out of out of the out of that trade show even before they canceled. What is the future gonna look like when it comes to trade shows? I mean, what what are your thoughts on sort of the, the business side of things and how the industry typically functions? You have this these giant trade shows where you have to send, you know, huge staff spend money Mm -hmm. on an entire booth. Do you, we know this year, none of those trade shows are coming back in person, at least they're going to be a few virtual versions of those. Um, How does this change the way you do business and how you start to think about um, where you allocate your resources, whether field marketing or otherwise?
2: Yes. I think that you're touching on a really important topic. I think that um, trade shows And also the way that we're going to sell in general, you know, is shifting. So we aren't planning on doing any trade shows until the spring. So Expo West, and we'll see, you know, what that's going to look like. I think a lot of the sampling is going to be under greater scrutiny under the Department of Health. Um, I think that retailers have adopted virtual selling a lot, a lot easier. So it's like they're a containing their risk to their people, their conference rooms. I welcome that as a business owner. And, you know, for me not to have to fly eight hours to go to the East Coast and then have for a 20 minute meeting and then fly back another eight hours to get back home. I've reclaimed that time. And I've also the travel and expense. I mean, think about our travel and expense budget. So what I would say is that, you know, you still want to invest in in your company and you want to invest in your brand. And so what we've done is we've kind of redeployed some of the savings that we have. So it's like, okay, you know, we're not going to trade shows. Our travel and expense budget is significantly uh, reduced, if not at all, you know, uh, completely. And then now those funds have opened up so that we can now do a little bit more promotion on online programs that support us in retail, whether or not that's Ibotta whether or not that's different click-to-cart programs or Instacart. So, you know, you're still investing in your brand and you're still investing in your retailers and helping them and you're just taking it from other parts of of your business. I I do want to stipulate, I understand that I'm in a position to do so because, you know, we are one of the brands that are doing well during these times and so a lot of companies are, are not doing well, and, so, and they have harder decisions to make.
0: Yeah. And how, how do you think um, product sampling? I mean, consumer sampling is often a huge, you know, in retail is a, is a huge component of what companies do. I don't know if that's something that you had a big focus on, but how do you see, do you see any other changes coming about to how you do business or get your products in front of consumers? Perhaps you just double down on online
2: So here's what we have seen time and time again with new products that we have, is that regardless of the channel where consumers buy your products, they go to Amazon or they go to Thrive and they read the reviews. Mm -hmm. That That peer review, that social proof is really important for consumers because it eliminates risk. And I know it's so silly, right? Cause like it's a creamer, it's less than $4. But people like what they like and they don't like to change unless it's something for the better. And they want to know that if they're making that change, you know, that deviation from, from what they know and they're familiar with, then they have a good chance of it being better. And so when you go online and you see that we're, You know, the best selling um, plant based creamer online, you know, with thousands of reviews, it's like, oh, it must be pretty good. And so I think that that helps us even when we're in retail. And so being able to focus and letting your consumers tell you about your reviews gives other consumers social proof. And as a brand and as a manufacturer, those reviews are also so much timely and instantaneous feedback, direct feedback from consumers about what they think about your product. So that also allows you to have that benefit of like, okay, this is strong enough of a flavor for us to go into retail or, you know, it's, it's, uh, it didn't work out. And so, um, we had one where like, I don't know if you have it, if I ever sent you a product, we had a lovely product. It was called vanilla lemon. We wanted to be literal because our flavors are French vanilla and Mm -hmm. hazelnut and original. So, and it was misnamed and it was a beautiful flavor. We had the people that tried vanilla lemon loved it, but they couldn't figure out like intrinsically what's vanilla lemon. Why is it belonging in my coffee? Now, if we had named it, lemon shortbread oh doesn't that sound perfect with a cup of coffee (laughs) and so you know but we launched it online we we saw the reviews people loved it that tried it we just couldn't get enough people to try it because it was it was misnamed and so we are actively debating about you know whether or not we're going to bring it back under a new name or whether or not we're just gonna we're gonna let it go quietly in the night and focus on new flavors like toasted marshmallow which is Mm -hmm. often running
0: (laughs) that sounds good
2: (laughs) yeah well you know it'll make you think of starry of starry camping nights and cozy campfires and so a little bit of a welcome reprieve i think
0: yeah so what are your sort of priorities as a company for the rest of the year are you are you still working on new product launches like this one um any Mm new SKUs you're working on that you're willing to talk about
1: Yes.
2: Well, you know, I will say that there are some changes to our innovation. We had really looked to go into Canada. And so, and we had looked at a couple other um, countries that, you know, were really primed and and would love to have us come up. And I feel bad for our Canadian fans because they've been asking for us for a couple of years. And so, but we've pulled back on that because of A, global economic concerns, B, You know, the border is literally closed between the U.S. and Canada, Um, NAFTA concerns. And so we're going to have to wait. So there are some that we've pulled back on and there are others where, you know, with time and you want to make sure that you're being sensitive to when you launch products and if they're if they're offering value to the consumers then we can go back and, you know, continue offering great products for our consumers. And so oat is an example of that. We we had been hearing a lot of consumers saying, I really want to try nut pods, but I'm allergic to almonds or coconuts. Can you make all almonds are all coconuts. And, you know, we, we said, well, unfortunately we're a blend of almond and coconut. And so we wanted to have an option for people that had nut allergies to chill, still try the premise of nut pods, which is we're rich and creamy completely unsweetened, you know, back to quality certifications. And, um, so we were able to push forward with some products like that. And so I think you know, obviously, you're doing well if you're a supplement or if you have something that is based on boosting immunity. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, there's a there's still a lot of opportunities of what consumers are looking for. So that's kind of the primary innovation north star for us is we're not we're not creating new stuff just to sell new stuff. It's like what what problem is this solving? What the market demand is there? and so and then we go from there.
0: Yeah, you've got this this advantage of you are um you have a platform which is you are part of a ritual of a, of an, on a given day for your customer. And so you can you can just be the creamer in in their coffee or you can eventually build on that platform to meet other complementary needs, whether it's boosting immunity or if it's mm-hmm. giving them energy or, or who knows what, so I think there's a lot of room for for you to play around with uh, you know functional functional foods and ingredients and adaptogens. I know a lot of smaller companies are starting to get into that space, but you already have the platform and you can. You can kind of go in whichever direction you believe you you can deliver the most value for your customers. So that's, I think, really exciting about the space that you're playing in and the opportunity mm-hmm. that is ahead for you.
2: Thank you. And I think the other thing, too, is we, we want to be really good at one thing, which is, you know, which is creamers. And so I don't need to, you know, dip my dough into yogurts, cheese or butter or, you know, any other 'Cause it's hard enough being, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get into the top three of any one category. I don't I don't need to multiply that across multiple categories. We want to be America's go to plant based creamer. And so that's what, you know, we are focused on. And so and I think the other thing too is, you know, speaking about opportunities. This is a wonderful opportunity during these kind of crazy times to really allow your consumers to know like what your brand is about, what you stand for and what you support. And so, and I think, you know, you, you have to do it in a tasteful way, right? So it's like, we had, we have a shelf stable product, but you will never see us you know, pandering to like stock up for you know the mm-hmm. pandemic <laughs> because that's that's not what consumers need and that's not the way that we want to market our products. Um, but they can see us do good. They can see us. Be a supporter and a, and a donor to Food Lifeline, which in our area is the food bank that you know supplies other food banks. Because we understand that access to food is so critically important right now, and especially it also disproportionately affects people of color. Um, being able to see that we support you know medical staff and first responders, and being able to you know see that you know we are supportive of. Black Lives Matter and that we are giving, you know, $15,000 for the month of June to support the NAACP so that we can work towards equal rights for all people of color, but especially, you know, because of our Black community needs a little extra help right now. It's an opportunity for brands to really pull away and show what their distinct identity is because what what I see is your product has to be differentiated. But today's consumers are also so much more interested in the brands that they are supporting via their dollars. And so they want to know what you stand for. They want to know what you support. And, um, I, I understand there's some risk. I'm not naive. I understand there's some risk to the brand of some people may not, you know, embrace the same values we have and they can vote with their dollars too. But I'm really, this is, this is my, obligation as a person of color this is my obligation as a woman um that i need to have this moment where i am guiding a company and trying to lead a company and be able to have a clear direction on who we are
0: yeah i'm, I'm so glad you brought that up i was i was going to ask you what you thought was your responsibility as a founder and ceo of a food company and you you've you've already sort of answered my question um And I think the answer, if I had to ask that to you know ten different founders, I'd I'd probably get a mixed responses. I'm guessing uh, because you know I think some people believe this isn't uh, this isn't a topic. You know whether it's Black Lives Matter or the protests in response to George Floyd's murder aren't topics or issues that should be the concern of uh, food companies, and I think. You know, I think they're wrong, frankly. I think they're wrong because I think it's, if anything, we've learned that the following his murder and the movement that has emerged in response to it has forced every individual and every business owner to examine what they can do to fight some of the systemic failings in this country and to promote justice and equality. And if you aren't doing that, uh, then you're probably going to go down on the wrong side of history because this isn't. A political issue, as this is an issue about uh, showing what your values are, and if you don't speak up, it just says you don't have those values.
2: Well, or or you're not comfortable. I, I will say, um, it's not as clear cut I think as some people would like to make it be, and and let me qualify that. You know, there is there is a line that I try and and walk gingerly about who I am as a CEO, who I am as a business person and what my brand represents. Because one of the things is yes, my name is on the back of every package because I want people to know that Madeline, mom and Nutpods founder is a real person. I'm not a figurehead of General Mills or Kellogg's or any big food company. I'm a real person trying to have great products for our consumers. But I want NutPause, the brand, to shine. I'm not building a lifestyle, you know, brand for myself. I'm not trying to make, um, you know, TEDx talks for myself or anything like that. I want pause to be the, the, the brand first and foremost. Uh, having said that, you know, I have a duty and a responsibility because I am in a privileged position of, being a, a business owner and be, you know, in, in a position of authority. And so if I don't take this opportunity in my lifetime to stand up and step up and be able to say what I think is, is the direction that we need to head and what we support, that would be a personal failing for me. I mean, I have two girls and I want to, have them grow up and look back and say, you know, maybe my mom wasn't here after school every day for me growing up, but she was making it easier for me to have more equal opportunities and more equal pay, uh, so that when I grow up and go into business, it's an easier time for me. And I want to be able to do that for a lot of other people uh, of color. And you know, as as we know, it is an unequal playing ground of access to investors. And it's like four, you know, it's like 4% of VC money goes towards women founded businesses. Only 2% go to PE founded, you know, PE funded um, businesses that are women. Now add on top of that, I'm a person of color, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like, um, Um, but when you're able to, when you're able to get to the other side, I really feel strongly that it's it's my role to be able to help other people or to, you know, pass along some of the knowledge that I that I've gained along the way to make their path and their journey a little bit easier. That's why I love these podcasts is because if I can help motivate other people who are an outsider to the industry, you know, to encourage them and say you can do it, to be able to say you don't have to raise like 10 million dollars for your seed round or your series a you know start small build a healthy business focus on your unit economics so that you can get profitable and your gross margins make sense Mm -hmm. and you're building a healthy business you know the the goal is not to raise money the goal is to build a business so you don't have to raise money (laughs) and so and i just want to do my part um you know and when we're talking about being inclusive and being open minded, you also have to accept that not everyone is going to feel the same way. Now, we've had debates internally with nut pods. And that's why I tell you it's not clear cut. It's not that anybody disagrees that police brutality should end or that, you know, Black Lives Matter or that there should be equality for all races Um you know, or in all communities, including our, you know, LGBTQ community, it's that some people feel like but is it the role of our brand? Mm-hmm. Or is it you speaking about it in you know B2B situations? And there that's the line that I'm trying to walk. Because I, I don't wanna I don't want to overshadow the brand. But it's very important for me to do my part as a, as a CEO, too. And so finding the right, you know, the right avenues and the right opportunities for me to get out and do my part. And then also making sure that I don't ever like overshadow nutpods or, you know, confuse like the, you know, Madeline Hayden part of Nutpods. That's the line that I'm trying to to walk gingerly. Does that
0: make sense? Yeah, I think you articulated that really well. I truly totally get it. It's it's a leadership challenge more than anything else, which is, you know, how do you stay true to yourself, uh, but also recognize and acknowledge that Nutpods as a brand and as an entity is not you? I mean, yes, you are a huge part of it and you are the reason it was started. But it has its own identity and it has its own purpose and plays its own unique role and has its own unique story in the lives and minds of your consumers and your business partners and While yes, you want your brand to reflect your values, you've also got to know maybe the same maybe you have a different voice versus what the brand's voice is, and it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's it's not a simple issue, and it is it is not about backing down and not saying, speaking your truth and speaking your values, but it's also knowing, having the skill and the judgment to apply the right language and the tone in the right circumstances so that you are still communicating the truth and what you truly believe, but you aren't necessarily then using nut pods as a as a platform for all your views on everything on earth. Um,
2: Exactly.
0: And so it's, it's a, and I think it's, it's good that we're asking these questions and I'm, and it is, and I appreciate you even taking this conversation in this direction because some people are just uncomfortable even talking about it in a public forum um, because they just, they, they don't want to uh, offend anyone. And, and I, you know, I think that fear of not speaking up, usually reflects that you haven't really thought about the issue because if you have thought about the issue then you should not be afraid of voicing what's in your mind because hopefully mm-hmm. what comes out of your mind uh, and, and what will you, what you'll vocalize will uh, not be offensive to anyone it'll speak the truth that everyone can hopefully agree with. Now the the details of it, and the intricacies of it, and the nuances of it. Yes, there may be differences there, but overall, I think you're right. Everyone agrees we need justice, we need fairness, we need equality, and people who don't uh, probably should re-examine their stance. But you know, I also want to bring it back to the fact that we're, you know, we're talking about a lot of this in the context of the food industry, and we're talking about it in the context of the natural, organic, or plant-based food industry, and This industry has its own share of challenges. I mean, majority of the consumer base of natural and organic products, even plant-based products for the matter, are predominantly white. I saw a recent report that said 73% of consumers who consume natural foods are white. On top Mm -hmm. of that, and you mentioned this a bit earlier as well in in the context of of leadership and funding in startups in the space, but if you look at whether it's uh, company boards or even senior leadership positions, people of color are undoubtedly a very small fraction of the of of what the what boards and and leadership positions are made up of. And so this industry also has to has a twofold challenge here. One is how do you how do you meet the needs of a increasingly diverse America. And secondly, how do you make sure your company and your culture reflects that and do it in a way that's authentic and not in a way that, honestly, I've sometimes seen a few companies just sort of, you know, do it because they think they have to rather than because Mm. they truly believe they they should be doing it and it's the right thing to do.
2: I I love that you brought that up. And I think that... uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how we haven't been afraid to be different. And I think that that has served our brand well. And, you know, our brand has always been one of like inclusion and we value different diversity and perspective and backgrounds. And that is not words. And this isn't a pledge that we have done in response to, you know, recent events. I mean, our team is like 50 percent minority employees we you know including 15 percent african americans we are well ahead of any type of statistical norm for a company and i will say that while i, I don't collect people and i don't mean to sound this in in um in an offensive way but it's not like i'm all like you know what we need to have like a need to have like another Asian person like I'm not collecting people based off of their their you know races or their background I am always intentional about building a diverse team that is rooted in different cultures traditions you know experience and history and you know why because it makes us open-minded and it makes us creative and it makes us be avoid the kind of you know group think so it's like if you have a predominant um, demographic. You're going to predict consumer behavior off of the predominant demographic. So, you know, uh, we have some people that w- went Ivy League and private school. You know, did the did the Greek system and all that. And then we also have people like me, where I'm public school all the way. And when you talk about how consumers are going to behave, or you know, what we think they're going to do, or what they're going to value. When you have a um, less homogenous team and a more diverse team of perspective, experiences, backgrounds, you can have a more realistic um, kind of sample group among your team. And so the trick is, is not to collect people so that you have a diverse team. The trick is to create a culture and an environment in which you tell people, I want to hear what you think and that we value you know, different perspectives, and with different perspectives come different conflicts, and be okay with creative conflict. Now, I'm tolerant of conflict um, as long as it's respectful. We can all come from the standpoint of we want to do what's best for our business, and how we think about doing that may be achieved in different ways according to different people's perspectives, but just because you bring together a diverse pe- you know, group of people does not make it work. What makes it work is the construct around it, which is, you know, do you value being open-minded and being tolerant of, of conflict? Do you Are you a team where you shy away from conflict and you want to sweep it under the rug? Or do you say, you know, conflict is great, it's going to help us make better decisions, but this is the way in which we need to have conflict and this is how we're going to do, to um you know resolve conflict we can we can disagree but we're all going to get in the boat and we're going to row together in the the same direction and so and i and i think the other thing too is that you can't just get people in through the door. You know, sixty percent of our leadership team are led by people of color, and forty percent by women. Because remember, you Neil, know, I have I have that person of color hat on, but I also have a women hat on. So it's like I want to make sure that we're providing. You don't just get in the door, but if you do a great job, you know, we're gonna give you opportunities to advance as well. And and that flows all the way through to board of directors, where you know we're a certified minority owned business. We're also 66% of the board is minorities. And the thing about our board is, you know, I'm, I'm really cognizant of the fact that, like, man, we've got the finance lens, like, dialed down. <laughs> we've got people that can focus on the numbers, and that's great. But you also want your board to be diverse in terms of skill set and lenses. So it's like, I want someone who, you know can talk to me about brand building because as you emerge from a startup and you're more of a brand of scale and a challenger brand, you are, you are competing against bigger established brands, usually better funded, and you have to like refine and hone about how you're going to separate and differentiate yourself from a new set of competitors and being able to know like, you know, as we go from here, what do we want our brand to stand for? And so um, being able to have people that have a different lens where it's like non-financial because you got that lens down, you know, is really important for you to make decisions for your company. So you got you to gotta say the words because people are looking for companies to identify themselves on what their values are and what's important for them. And then you have to do the action of like, you know, if you're going to say, One of your pillars of giving back to the community is you have to give back to the community. And especially when so many businesses are not thriving and doing well, we have an extra obligation to give back to the community, especially to our food banks. And then lastly, you know, you you can't talk about diversity without having a hard look at your team and what you are valuing you know, whether or not it's minorities or whether or not leadership opportunities or whether or not it's, you know, gender diversity, it's diversity goes so much more than beyond the color of our skin. And for me, the root of how we've been successful is thought and perspective diversity. And an easy way to get through that is to, is to recruit and to train people about um, the culture that you're building and to see if they're a good fit and you know you continue to grow that culture and you continue to grow that that diversity and that healthy conflict because you need to have healthy conflict in, in any situation but especially with a diverse one because we're all coming at it with different opinions but we're united in the fact that we want to do what's best for our company. Mm-hmm.
0: I really appreciate that insight. I think what the way you articulated that, I wish I. I, mean, I think I am going to uh, send that recording to a few people. Uh, hopefully, it won't offend them. But the but the reason for that is because I feel like I I I hear a lot of talk about this, um, and perhaps I, I tend to hear about it because I am a person of color and I'm an immigrant myself, and so I think you know people like to. I wouldn't say pretend. I was going to use the word pretend, but people like to put their best foot forward and 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 display almost like cosmetically make it seem like they're making an effort towards diversity in their companies and in their projects and initiatives. And sometimes I think of that as almost like your. whether you're buying books to decorate a bookshelf to show people you're smart Mm -hmm. and have Mm -hmm. an interest in a variety of topics or you're actually interested in learning about a variety of topics. So there's a big difference between assembling a bookshelf that impresses other people versus Mm -hmm. assembling the books that will actually give you the most amount of knowledge so you can be the best person that you possibly can be. And I think what you articulated there is going beyond that cosmetic virtue of value signaling of uh, a diverse bookshelf for a uh, uh, or a diverse team in your in your case and actually get to the core of what you're trying to achieve with diversity and what the core benefit and what why diversity is a strength and isn't something that is uh, uh, another checkbox you have to tick in these trying times where everything is progressing really fast, and you have to be you have to be inclusive rather than you should be inclusive because it makes you stronger, better, a more talented team, and capable of of becoming a more successful business. And I think what you just said there just proved my point all along, which is I've been saying to people is that diversity isn't a thing you have to do if you really want to succeed you will automatically realize it's the thing you should have been doing from the beginning
2: mm-hmm. definitely and i think that's the thing is that you know you know our brand to be we're pretty humble right but that doesn't mean that we're not very driven or successful i mean you know we we just are not the type of brand that are going to shout from the rooftops about how great we are but we'll let the the results speak for themselves, whether or not we're number two in food and beverage in the Inc 5000 list or Amazon small business of the year. We like to do things before we say it. And so, you know, and this is an example of that. It's like it's it's it wasn't an initiative for us because we've always done it. And so and I think when you come from a position of we've done it and here are the results that come from doing it this way that worked for us, you know, it's a lot different of a conversation, than saying, oh, we're gonna do it. We're totally gonna do it. We're gonna knock it out of the park. But you haven't actually seen how it works with your with your organization. And you know, can you make it work? And so we do things where we we take risks all the time. I mean, I've said to you, you know, we're giving fifteen thousand um, dollars for the month of June for NAACP to support their the fight towards like justice and equality. I could have said, oh, we've made like a significant contribution, but I've put a number to it. And we are not the same as Nike. We are not the same as Amazon in terms of what they are giving, you know, know, with philanthropy for the NAACP. But I'm just going to be transparent and say $15,000 for a company is important. And it's especially important when you're in an environment like this where it would be so much easier as a business owner to say hey let's you know let's just take the savings and let's just keep the 15,000 on our on our balance sheet and make sure we have it for a rainy day but we're making that choice of we're going to put our money where our mouth is and so we're not going to hide and say we're giving a contribution and it's like $50 <laughs> <laughs> you know so it's like it's just you have to do it in a way that is um, genuine for your brand voice and it's the same way where you know i i know you're we're a founding member of the plant-based community but we've always been uh, a brand that talks about inclusivity so that means that we are a product I see for people that are you know keto or paleo as well as people that are vegan and plant-based and so we want to include as many people we can and so It doesn't make sense for a brand that has prided itself and built itself on inclusivity to all of a sudden have like a strident position um, on various topics. While we can still be very strong and very clear on who we are, it's like you have to you have to balance the two of like if you built your brand on inclusivity, um, you know, you have to you have to walk the line of making people. Kind of show them the way, take them along the way instead of saying you are a terrible person, like <laughs> get out of here, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought you. that point up, too, which is that, you know, you've also been uh, inclusive both in your approach to uh, meeting the needs of a diverse uh, food <laughs> What's the right word for it? Like you have these food communities almost that mm-hmm. are die hard supporters of their particular diet, whether it's paleo, keto, if it's plant based, and where the other is the enemy, and uh, you know you either in my camp or you're you're I don't want to talk to you. And so, and I think we talked about this in the first time you were on the podcast too, how you you're able to provide a solution and yet reach out you know, be inclusive and supportive of everyone and yet not necessarily pander to any one group uh, because you're too afraid. It also is a mindset issue, right? Are you, Are you? you? Do you have a mindset of abundance or scarcity where you believe, well, the vegans really like us, so we need to double down on them and ignore everyone else? Um, no, and I think that's such I, an important lesson in branding too. Well, maybe it's
2: a throwback from being picked last for like you know the different sports team in school and like, I just want to make sure that everybody feels like they belong and they're welcome you know under not buzz and so um as a as a community you know we yeah. we want to make sure that we are providing great products for you know all the people that are looking for it there's going to be a time and a place for us to say you know you are you know you're no longer welcome because of how you behave, Mm -hmm. but that's based on an individual person off of their behavior, not off of like a group. Now there are some groups, you know, of course you just have to like absolutely take a stand on like hate groups Mm -hmm. and just say, okay, you know, you are not welcome. And so, but to, I think that's the thing is that that, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing is that people want to make it so black and white and it's such an individual um, journey for each leader trying to find their way that makes sense for their brand voice and their leadership style along their personal values and the amount of personal risk and professional risk that they're willing to take. It's it's not that black and white. So and I, I understand that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think I really appreciate your your insights on this. I this I didn't realize our conversation was going to go into all these different directions, but it's it's so useful and so relevant in these, not just because of the times we're going through, but just generally like just stepping back as who you want to be as a brand and how do you want to be able to uh, reach the most amount of people and grow and scale your business in this world that's increasingly fragmented? And how do you do mm-hmm. it in a way without completely losing any identity also because you you want to make sure your brand has an identity but at the same time you've got to also recognize that every individual who's part of these different labels of groups that they they identify with or they they feel like they belong to that you are not you know painting them all um with broad brush strokes where you assume that because one person's behavior uh, does not align with what you would consider acceptable it means the entire group that they identify with is a problem so it's, it's isn't a,
2: that that's how we got here yeah.
0: by judging people yeah. by the groups that they
2: identify with rather than on their own individual person
0: yeah i know and it's well, I I I want to be respectful of your time too, so I'm going to I'm going to I as much as I don't want to stop this conversation, I think I'm going to sort of bring it towards it, uh, a bit of a conclusion. Um I think in the past few months um uh, you know have have been a challenging time for for most people and it's also been a a very eye-opening time for a lot for a lot of people for multiple reasons whether it is COVID-19 or Bring these, bringing up these uncomfortable questions about diversity and inclusion and injustice in this country, and and while I think there's no way to predict what may happen tomorrow, let alone in in the few months from now, um, I guess if you were to be help, hopeful, uh, what do you hope all of this is leading us to? And and you can answer this broadly in terms of social and cultural context or more specifically in the context of the food industry or you personally but i really would love your insight um on what your optimistic outlook is on this rough patch for humanity
2: Mm. i would say one of the things that i am hopeful for is a little bit of a return for compassion and i think it actually touches all of the the segments that you're talking about, you know, when we are compassionate and we understand people have their own individual struggles, whether or not it's, you know, a long journey for them towards reclaiming their health and how they eat or educating themselves, it's a it's a slow, long process. And being able to be supportive in a non-judgmental way, you know, I think is great. I think also being able to be compassionate towards your employees and understand. That like most of us, they have their own families that they are trying to protect. They they have their own um, uncertainties that they are dealing with, whether or not it's school or whether or not it's their job. You know, whether or not it's friends that you know that have been laid off or affected by the economy. You know, I think being able to be compassionate about how this is affecting everybody is important. I think also in terms of people you don't know or people that are outside of the groups that you identify with is to understand that it, how 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 we get there how we get better as a community how we get better as you know a country is to look at the other person and see compassion and see what more that you have more in common with that other person than Any dissimilarities that you see. And I think, like, you know, being able to relate to each other as uh, parents who have to homeschool or people that, you know, um, have to figure out Zoom or all of this new way of working together, being able to just understand that everybody is doing their best and we're not perfect, we're terribly flawed, but um, to understand that most people are just trying to do the right thing. For themselves and their family and to see that as as kind of an overall blanket in allowing us to see each other as human beings and um, part of a wonderful wonderful country that we live in even with all of the even with all of the you know imperfections that we're seeing right now there isn't another country that I'd rather be a part of and to focus on that uh, I, I really think that that will help unite us against
0: Thank you, Madeline. This has been truly insightful, and I'm, I'm, I really, I'm glad I could uh, share your voice and your thoughts on the range of topics that we covered today. And uh, I look forward to continuing this conversation and having you back on.
2: Thank you. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. And thanks again for having me and giving me an opportunity to share on our brand. And hopefully, you know, I, uh, I was able to help encourage a couple of other people out there.
0: Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.
1: The headlines remind us daily. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.